Welcome back to the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Uh, today, we are going to break down the Nottingham Forest draw, but in more important news, we finally got our fifth manager Zelda. of the year. Fifth, fifth manager of the year. Oh, we're not reviewing Zelda Tears of the Kingdom? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, no, that's, that's the third part. My whole oh, okay, my whole okay. life has been consumed by Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Um it's uh I missed I didn't even watch the game on Saturday, if I'm gonna be completely honest, because the night before I stayed up until two AM playing the game. And then I woke up at like <laughs> with like ten minutes left uh in the Chelsea game and I decided, oh, I'll just get a head start on uh, Zelda today, but uh, Andreas, yeah, as I guess you uh, alluded to it. You've been uh, it's, it's been consuming your time as well. Hopefully, it didn't take up too much time on uh, your Mother's Day today. Well, so my Mother's Day plans kind of got shifted all over. So my mom decided to go to Cabo with my dad, and I thought, oh, I will spend the day with my grandmother and my mother-in-law. I'll, I'll split the day. Well, then I call my aunt who is in charge of what my grandmother's plans are, they're too busy. So I just FaceTimed her for a second, told her how much I love her, yada, yada, yada. And then Hannah and I think, we'll call my mother-in-law. We'll spend the day with her. And she's like, eh, I saw you guys yesterday. So we went out, did a little bit of just uh, R&R, Took our dog on a long walk. So it was a very non-mother Mother's Day for me, which is very odd for a Hispanic son. So you had more time to play Zelda? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. <laughs> only played only played because Zach was late tonight. Ooh, Zach. You're here. I mean, late, but here. I am here. I yeah. am. Yeah, it was all right. Had a decent day. I went out, kicked it with my mom. Next week is the in-laws week. Um, oh yeah, kind of disappointed. I made reservations at this restaurant in, in Studio City called Firefly for my LA people. That place is normally mm-hmm. really good, but uh, don't go on holidays because they have a fixed menu, and the fixed menu is no bueno. So could have been better, but uh, I got to spoil my mom. That's all that matters, right? The last time I, I have really bad association with Firefly because the last time I went there was like the day kobe died mm. so like it was literally like an hour after the news broke and i was literally like sitting at the table like crying <laughs> well uh with my grandma and my parents crying over kobe but so i have bad association with the firefly but it is a very nice restaurant um, yeah it is all right uh i'm gonna leave most of the talking about this match to you guys because as I said, this is the I, I'm I'm gonna like I'm not gonna lie to our listeners and like I've I've been straight up with all of you guys that I am checked out for the rest of the season. Like I even had an opportunity. I woke up and like you know, I like later in the day I was like, all right, let me just watch. Well, I'll watch the the replay of the game. I'll watch the whole game. 
and I'm like two minutes in and I'm like already frustrated. I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time watching the whole thing. I'm just going to watch the highlights. And that's, I just watched the highlights of the game. Um, so I'll leave most of the breakdown for you guys, but I think we're going to spend more time talking about the, the Pochettino signing. So we'll get into, we'll start off by going through the lineup. Um, Frank lined us up in the usual 4-3-3. Surprise, surprise, Mendy in goal. I think it was like for the first time since January, December, something like that. Or was it before the World Cup? I think before the World Cup. That was the last time he started for Chelsea. So, and um, I'll just start off right now and say that that's prob- it was probably not his best appearance uh, coming back from that hiatus. But um, back four, we had Chalaba playing right back, Thiago Silva, Badman Badia Shiel, and uh, Lewis Hall at, as left back, which was very exciting to hear. Gallagher, Enzo, Kovacic in the midfield and a front three of Madueke, Felix, and Raheem Sterling. So those front, those two guys that we talked about last week, Felix and Sterling asking whether they deserve to start after their performance. They did. Um, let's start off with Mendy. I mean, right off the back, he let in a, a kind of a shocker. Just this is the typical Mendy thing where um, he's he's too late to make a decision. He committed to coming out for the cross, and he was stuck in no man's land. Um, sorry, he committed too late, and he was stuck in no man's land, and the dude got a free header, um, put it in, and it was just a shocker. Um, Zach, I mean, uh, overall in the, in the match, like, did you see, like, his nerves? Like, it, it just seemed like it was, he, wasn't, he wasn't ready. This is why you don't rotate keepers for shits and giggles. I, I'm, I, I, I'm all for if there's nothing to play for, which at this point there isn't, to, you know, rotate the squad and bring in maybe some of the guys that haven't gotten playing time and whatnot. But it's clear that Mendy's not going to be here next season. Um, all of the rumors regarding Pochettino are pointing at his new keeper. He already stopped negotiating for a new contract earlier this year. Why are we starting him over Keppa? Odds are Keppa will most likely be here next year. Or not most likely. He has a better chance of being here next year than Mendy does. Because he's under with, contract. Because he's under contract. Exactly. And that's my point. So going back, um, I, don't, I don't like the idea of rotating keepers. I just don't. I think keepers among... Any other position on the pitch requires the physical and mental match fitness um, because you do, like you said, Sam, you do have to make those decisions in a split second. You do have trajectory of a cross, whatever it might be. And in this case, specifically on the first goal, um, it did look like a little bit of ring rust. Like, yeah, Mendy hasn't commanded the box in, since before the World Cup, like you said. But again, that hasn't necessarily been his forte. Like, he's an elite shot stopper, and that's about it. His decision-making is questionable. His reaction time is slightly questionable, and we saw that here. Um, And obviously, we know how he is playing with his feet. So I kind of knew that there was going to be some sort of wrinkle at some point in the game because Mendy's coming in, whether that mistake was going to happen by, you know, him making a bad pass or him just kind of fluffing his lines. You know, take your pick. 
um, you know, one of them was going to happen. And obviously, in this case, it was fluffing his line. So not the grace, not the best decision from Frank, unfortunately. But I'm not going to sit here and blame him as the reason why we drew the match. The defending on that play was shocking. How oh, I was able to get in between both center backs was pretty shocking as well. So it's not only on Mendy, but two very preventable shots, man. though. Yeah, two very preventable yeah. shots, and and I think that does come down to Mendy to an extent because the second one was from a long throw-in, so mm-hmm. he could have set up his team. He's supposed to command the box, not just with his actions, but with his eyes because he sees everything. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's clear as day that Nottingham Forest is going to throw the ball in thirty yards, which means you have six seconds of hang time to react to this ball. Sure, don't win the first ball, but get your team ready for the second ball. And again, he had Kepa wrists. He could have stopped that. That was a very stoppable second one that got the game back drawn. And to me, it's just, this is why we're linked to a keeper. This is why the Emmy Martinez um, links came out recently. And it's also another thing. It's players who don't sign contracts aren't as focused. You talk about focus, how important that is on keepers. He didn't want to sign a contract that was on the, the table since October, or not even October, I believe it was early September that the, the offer came up. He didn't like it, and now Chelsea has left the table. And obviously, that doesn't play into the fact that he hasn't played. He's he's rattled because of that. He doesn't know what his future holds. He's thrown into the wolves. But this just goes to show our starting keeper is not on this team. And And to me... It's it's a negative to to draw this game, but at least it, it shows clarity, and I hope other fans see that too. That there's just no keeper here right now that starts at Chelsea next season. It and is it that's, is ref- that's a that's okay to know. I, I'm I guess is my point. Yeah, sorry for talking over you, Andy, but I was gonna say and going back to the Pochettino point I made earlier, like that just reinforces how refreshing it is that all the rumors we're reading about Pochettino is that one of the positions he's demanding a new player in his goalkeeper. I think it was inevitable coming in. Um, you know, if I was a manager of Chelsea, that's one of the things I would be focusing on too. But there was, a, I would be lying if I said that I wasn't a little concerned prior to reading those Emmy Martinez rumors that we might be stuck with Kepa or Mendy going into next season. Just there's also the Diogo to. Costa. Diogo Costa's popping up again. Not that like I know much about the guy, yeah, the, me neither. the Portuguese league guy, but the the reports are coming back up. So. You're right. Was- it is refreshing for Potts to say, like, hey, I need a keeper because we've seen yeah. it time and time again recently. The last one, two, three managers have tried to make Kepa work or or what we have work. So for Potts to come in and say keeper now is refreshing because another elite manager might say, no, no, I'll make this all be better. We can make this work. So he's coming in, no bullshit. I need a new keeper, period. So, let's talk about the midfield. Andreas, I'll start off with you. What did you see from these three, Gallagher, Enzo, and Kovacic? I just thought that the control wasn't as, there as much. Um, again, you, Zach was talking rotation. Last week, Gallagher was on one side. Now this week, he's on the other side. Now there's not a, a guy helping Enzo sit back a little bit more because we all know Gallagher pressures from the front. So to me, it's just why bring Kova back into the fold when Gallagher, Conte, and Enzo dominated as a group last week. Um, 
I just thought that it looked unbalanced. It looked a little bit better with RLC, surprisingly. I thought he had a decent game. But to me, it's just, you know, you're trying to get Conte to sign a new contract. And then he doesn't start. Like, you can pull him early if it's exhaustion. It it just doesn't click again. It, it's one of those things where at least we're not seeing, you know, your ZS, your Aubameyang. Those guys aren't starting anymore. But then every rumor says Kova has a foot out the door. Conte is someone we're trying to keep for sure. And he says he's enjoying his football again. And he's starting to be the Conte of old. So it's just like, mm, I don't know. I just thought it was the wrong choice. And, and I felt the game started pretty slow because of that. Yeah, it, we definitely missed him on the counter pressing. Um, specifically in the first half when Kovacic was playing. I'm I'm just gonna go and say it. I think this was Kovacic arguably his worst performance for Chelsea since he came here. And I don't I don't think that's a stretch. I think the last two or three matches have been pretty indicative of where his head is at. It's it's clear that he's has one foot out the door, like you said, Andres, but in that first half we were losing the ball left, right, and center whenever it got shifted over to Kova. He was getting caught on the ball a lot or he was trying to dribble one too many people. And when we would lose the ball, normally Conte would Conte's brilliant at reading those situations and making sure that the counter press is readily available right when Kova loses the ball or whoever it is is losing the ball. And when Conte wasn't there, there seemed to be not a delayed reaction, but it took just that half second to full second longer for the counter press to, you know, be triggered and be activated um, and win the ball back. And when Conte's out there, it's, it's just immediate, man. And and he helps us so much with that ball retention. And let's let's be honest with ourselves. If you have a guy like Conte out on the pitch doing that, making maybe five or six recoveries of that type of game, which he does, it's demoralizing for for an opposition midfield. You you get the feeling like you're being suffocated and there's no way out. Um, you know, Enzo's great at reading the second ball, similar to Jorginho, but he's not Conte. He's not going to be able to read those situations. And he's also not going to step up in a more advanced position in the midfield to make those reads because he knows he's most likely going to get bypassed and leave a gap. So, um, yeah, I, I thought the balance was okay. The first half, not so great. Obviously, when RLC came in, he looked really good. I think it's worth noting that this is the second game RLC came off the bench and made a really good, a really decent impact. I think if, if, if Frank is looking at the team and, you know, you want to bring a sub off the bench in, in midfield, I think RLC is going to be the guy in the last three matches here. I and mean, he's, he's proven that he could be an impact player for Frank, not only in his first stint, but here as well. So you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. The, the Kovacic thing, the Ziyech thing, the Aubameyang thing, you know, we know these guys are going to be out of here. Even Mendy, you can throw him into, the, into that equation too. Like, we know these guys aren't going to be here next season. I, I just don't know why, why we continue playing them. And for Kova, like, I'm not trying to badmouth him. I respect him. I love him. I, you know, I, I think he's, he's done great things here. I always appreciate the time he had here. But this season, he's just been checked out. There, there's really no excuse for it. So hopefully next match, we see Conte back into the rotation and RLC off the bench. That'll be, that'll be my midfield four that I'd be rotating with for the next three matches. And Sam, I do want to point out before we highlight Sterling, your boy Datra Fofana was on the bench. So he is back right. in the fold. We are one step closer to maybe seeing him. Still yeah, and <laughs> we're also one step closer to getting rid of Frank with the Pochettino signing. So maybe, uh, <laughs> we will see Fofana play. Um, so yeah, you, you mentioned Raheem Sterling. Um, yeah. Last episode... Um, 
I think it was, you know, it was you saying, like, does he deserve a chance to start after his performance? And I'll admit, I said, hell no. I don't want, I don't want to see him play right now. He's looked like shit, but he proved me wrong. Good on him. I'm, I'm totally okay admitting that I was wrong about that. But, you know, the first, like, we did, we gave up two goals, but if it weren't for Sterling, we would have zero points this match. Um, the first goal off of the, the forest, the forest defender's face while he was lying down, poor <laughs> guy. And the second goal, really well taken shot, awesome finish. Like that one, I was way more impressed than with the first. The, the one. trademark, the trademark Sterling goal. You know, chopping it back to his right foot, curling it. Yeah, yeah. We haven't yeah, had a winger know. that can do that since like the prime William, prime Hazard days. Yeah, well, I, we need we need Sterling to be doing this consistently, though. That's the catch, yeah. right? Like yeah. he did this one game at the beginning of the season, and then he did it again today. Um, I just think, you know, we we talked about him not starting. And and I don't know if maybe he had a conversation in the background. Again, this is me putting on my tinfoil hat. But after the match, a day or two after we recorded last week, Sterling came out and said that he is here for the law. Like, he is here to be part of the rebuild. He wants to be a leader during the rebuild. Like, he was sort of changing the narrative of, of what we've been feeling as fans and his performance. And then he does this also you know, in the very next match. So I don't know if a certain new manager gave him a phone call and he just has a new fresh take on, on what his role is supposed to be here at Chelsea, but I welcome this performance with open arms and it, it sucks for Mudrick because I want Mudrick to play the rest of the matches as a starter, but now can you really take Sterling off for the next match? I don't think you can. I, I mean, you're talk- you said he called him and told him what his role was going to be moving forward. Was- and that role is what? Scoring goals? Like, was I, that I, not his role this whole year? He didn't do no, that. I, maybe not role. Maybe just pitching what, what's to come. Maybe to say, like, hey, like, it's not all gloom and doom. Like, you're supposed to step up. Like, I don't know. Maybe he put a little bit of that, like, responsibility on him. Like, hey, next year, there's going to be a lot of young guys. I need you to be... Like, the dude. Start acting like the dude. I think I, I think know. Sterling, I think he's one of those confidence players. Like, you look at his time that he had at Manchester City, and when he was starting for Pep, he was a world beater. Like, he was on the Ballon d'Or list, deservedly, um, in his best seasons. And then, you know, his last couple seasons at City, he, he got forced to play more of a bench role, right? And when he came off the bench, he's not nearly as effective. He just seems like he's one of those players that needs to be playing consistently to get the best out of him. Um, but one thing that I noticed in this match more than any other was his intent. In the past, we were really frustrated at how lackadaisical, I guess, for lack of a better word, he was when he was on the ball. Like, he wasn't necessarily forcing the issue, grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck and saying, listen, I'm going to force something to happen. Like, I yeah. I've only gotten the ball 15 times this game. The next time I get the ball, I'm dribbling right at my guy and I'm going to dribble right past him. And, you know, just for reference, I went back while Andres was having his little spiel. And about a month ago, we played Wolves. Raheem Sterling started in a similar position to this. He only attempted two dribbles in that game. Against Nottingham Forest, he attempted eight. And granted, he only completed four of them. It's the consistency of him attempting the dribbles and constantly keeping the Nottingham defense honest. 
Like he, he, you keep him on the back of your heels every single time he was receiving the ball. You could see the defender kind of hesitating, like, "Oh fuck, is he going to dribble past me this time? Is he going to lay it off? Is he going to have a shot?" Like he, he sort of had that, for lack of a better term, that that triple threat that you associate with, like you know, when you're teaching kids basketball, when you catch the ball, you catch it in a triple threat position where you could shoot, pass, or dribble. And Raheem Sterling was doing the very same thing, receiving the ball, facing goal, facing his defender where he would have the option to run past them, to combine with somebody else, or make a more aggressive move towards goal himself. So he needs to continue that. And and I think his confidence is coming back little by little. Obviously, it's great to see, especially the second goal, the way he the, the way he took his goal just oozed confidence. And and that's that's Raheem Sterling at his best. You know, he he's able to do that. Just quick run over the top, times it really well cuts back, breaks an ankle, probably breaks two ankles actually, and tucks it into the corner, smashes it in the corner. It's we can definitely expect to see that more should his confidence stay this high. And I think when Pochettino comes in, it's I think Sterling's going to be one of those guys that he relies on because, you know, the conversation we had at the beginning of the season was exactly the same. He's one of those players, as much as we hate to say it, that's battle tested in this squad. So, should Poch come and Raheem keeps some sort of decent form between now and the end of the season. I fully expect him to be one of the main players in Pochettino's attack. Yeah, yeah, all very good points. I just, I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent sold on him. But today Neither was definitely. I think it, was, it was encouraging. Today was yeah. encouraging, though, or yesterday. Um. Before we get into Pochettino, can we just quickly take a second to acknowledge um, Arsenal's official <laughs> demise today? Brighton officially put the nail in the coffin and ended their title hopes. Um, what the an Premier awesome League, match. The Premier League's fucking amazing. Brighton loses last week 4-0 to a relegation-battling side in Everton. And then yep. they turn around and beat basically the runners-up of the league three at the following week. Yeah, like 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 a seven-goal swing from one week to the next. It's, it's That's the Premier League for you. Best league in the yeah. world. You love to see it. You love to yeah. see it. With Brighton, also, like, such an awesome team to watch, but I can't help, like, being salty, just, like, having a little bit of hate against Brighton, like, for... Because we made them better? Yeah, for Graham Potter, for taking uh, Kukurea as well. Um, giving them give, Colwell and Billy yeah, Gilmore. Cole, those are the next two. And then them hiring Deserby from, um, from Shakhtar and him being this revelation. Like, <laughs> we could have targeted him from the beginning. <laughs> Him we also being the manager him. that got the best out of Mudrick, too. Our most expensive yeah. signing. <laughs> yeah. There's so, a lot of uh, layers. Like, I really should not like Brighton, but it's such a... I say this all the time. They're probably the best-run club in all of England right now. Um, they do such good business, and they really know how to target players. Apparently, they know how to target managers as well. So, congrats to them. Um, they're... Probably they might play in Europe next year. Um, all right. Pochettino, Zach, and Andreas, you guys have been waiting for this podcast 
for weeks. I know you guys have been doing your research, everything in anticipation of the the signing. And um, officially, Fabrizio Romano gave the here we go. Did Chelsea make an official announcement? I don't know. I, I think they. I don't think they did. Uh, but. He's supposed to come to London to finally get the signing, like the papers officially signed. But no, we nothing go. in the fifth. Yeah, here we go. That's all that matters. So spoken exactly three year deal. Um, and it it was tough getting him in. Um, Pochettino turning down the job numerous times until he was offered more control. Um, given the opportunity to bring in more of the staff that he wants to bring in. Um, he will be taking over training as soon as this season ends. Um, initial reactions. I mean, I think we were all hoping for this to happen. And it finally, and we we kind of had our doubts for a little bit. The longer and longer it dragged out, the more it seemed like, damn, like... <laughs> We might not even get him. Like, what is our next option? But finally, we were relieved to find out that uh, it's going to happen. Andreas, how did you feel? I've been throwing out this name since we had to get rid of Lampard the first time. Pre-Tuchel, you know, I had been mentioning Pochettino. I just feel like there was a chance under Lampard to do the very same thing that he's doing right now. And and the reasons I'll get into in a little bit more, but just the fact that he's worked with a young team and brought them up to their full potential, if not more than people expected. Premier League proven, not a fucking pushover. All those things make me super excited. And then the other part of all this that I don't think we've talked to as much about is the fact that the owners are owning up to their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And there are visible changes in the approach this time around. You know, number one, it's been reported that they think they've like, you know, called a spade a spade and said they should have kept Tuchel for the year and then moved on. They've also acknowledged that they went full 180 from a manager who knew what he was doing to a manager that was just going to please the bosses in, in Potter, which was a mistake. And they've admitted to that. And then number three, they didn't give Pochettino a six year deal. It is a three year deal. This man is here to work and earn his stay. And I think. That's a huge one for how the club should be run. It doesn't put us in a weird financial situation. But also, they let go of the power. And and this is the part I'm most excited about. As much as you know, we initially gave them praise for how they run the Dodgers and the other sports they've played, they've owned, excuse me, and the Dodgers being the, the most successful of that, I just... You know, I don't know if I I don't remember if we spoke this on the pod or or Sam, you and I had this conversation outside of a recording, but baseball, you can put the right pieces in and and the chemistry that that sort of thing is is mechanical almost in baseball. The second baseman has to throw it to the first baseman to get an out. The right fielder has to throw it. You know, like those things are just automatic. You don't need this flow. You don't need this the right profile here to make this other profile he, click here and that that sort of thing. So for them to let Potch have the control he wanted in, in his approach, I think is what made this take so long. I'm just glad that, that it's over. Potch got what he wanted out of this, and that makes me feel more comfortable with what next year can look like. 
And he doesn't. Small... Go, go ahead, Zach. Go ahead. Yeah, I just like the fact that we're hiring a manager that doesn't take shit from anybody, including his players. Um, I have extensively researched and watched interviews and tactical breakdowns and personality breakdowns and bi little bio flicks on YouTube about Poch and. One of them that stuck out to me was this interview with Sky Sports and Danny Rose. And Danny Rose was talking about um, some of the things that Poch did differently to other managers when he was a Premier League footballer. And he said the first thing he noticed was that Pochettino actually recorded every training uh, session and workout session. So that included like um, um, like strength training when they'd go lift weights that included, um, you know, uh, even what he even mentioned that they had cameras down by the pools when they would, um, you know, train down there as well. So he's obviously holding the players accountable in that respect. You know, basically, if you're out of shape, it's going to show in the videos and uh, and, and he's going to have a certain there's going to be a certain sense of accountability in that respect. The other thing that Danny Rose uh, mentioned was that all of his previous managers um, they would sit him down after a match and they would only clip like maybe four or five clips of some mistakes that he made or tactical things that he needs to tweak going into the next match. He said the first time he sat down with Pochettino, he had over 26 different clips. He's incredibly meticulous. He studies film. He records absolutely everything. He doesn't leave any single stone unturned. Um, and, and I just love that incredible amount of detail. Like it's very Mourinho-esque in terms of being so hands-on and hyper-focused on every minute detail about the team. Um, so I, I, I'm really excited about that. The other thing that Danny Rose mentioned is that Poch goes out of his way to take up an interest in personal lives, the players' personal lives. So, you know, he's that type of manager that's going to be giving out hugs and kisses. Um, he's the type of manager that brings in players if, they having, if they're having an off day and saying, uh, hugs and kisses, Andres is raising his eyebrows. I'm talking like more like along the lines of Klopp where he loves his players. All right, Andres, get your head out of the gutter. Um, no, but you know, going back to my point, like if he takes up an interest in the players' personal lives, I mean, it's just going to make them run through a wall for them. Like what's that quote from John Terry about Jose Mourinho? Jose makes me, you know, run through he, I'll run through a brick wall for that man. And Pochettino has a very similar vibe to that where he's not necessarily there to just coach you and put you in a position on match day. He actually gives a shit about your personal life, about the other things that could possibly be affecting the on-field product as well. So that attention to detail, that level of meticulousness, that level of obsession, I fucking love that. And, and I think that'll be a huge positive to us outside of the tactical side of things. Zach, I'm, I'm really looking forward to your tactical breakdown. I'm not looking forward to your personality breakdown after your... <laughs> Um, analysis of Graham Potter coming in. <laughs> you, were, you were way off on that one. The tactics you got. Um, Listen, that just shows you that credit. anybody could go to school and get a degree. No, okay? Zach also thinks that that people who who have those like little certificates to or that are ordained <laughs> are legit <laughs> religious folk. You know, you can go five minutes online and suddenly marry people in the state yep. of Texas. Yeah, least, yeah, right. So. <laughs> it's like he got his degree in emotional intelligence from the same website I got to become an ordained minister in five years. It, it, turned, out that, <laughs> yeah. it turned out that was a three-hour <laughs> seminar at the local YMCA. Very prestigious, yes. Yeah, yes. driver's um, ed is probably harder than getting that degree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I... I think uh, the main thing that 
kind of worried me about not bringing him in is just the amount of fires that he has to put out coming into the season. I mean, you got the contract situations of, you know, N'Golo Conte, Mason Mount. Um, you got the size of the squad, the first team squad, over 30 players um, when Loney's arrive. <laughs> We've got the looming Lukaku return. So who knows what's going to happen with that? I don't, I don't think any other team is going to take him. So he's going to be here next, next year. Uh, the, defining the roles of the young players that were bought in both, you know, past summer and winter windows, rebuilding the club identity that we lost after Roman left, defining the core 11, instilling a true philosophy, you know, the potential of dealing with a Stamford Bridge renovation project and having to play on a quote unquote neutral site. Um, it's that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure to deal with walking in on your first day on the job. So big credit to him for uh, taking responsibility of all that. And um, yeah, I think uh, he, he, I have I have hope high hopes for him um, to tackle all of these situations and find something in the end. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough task for him. Um, I don't know if you guys want to add to anything to that, or if you want to just get into, um, like the actual discussion of his tactics or anything. I just wanted to say like, because of this massive list, I'm glad he waited and not try to do this on the bounce when the season has already been shit. Like he can worry about this when there's no matches on the schedule, you know, he can be working behind closed doors. If it's true that he's already our manager, I'm sure he's already working on this without having to run training on a consistent basis. So this is why I was all about get the manager deal signed, but then don't let him take over the first team training until the season's over. The list is long and, and he'll have time now to, to tackle these things. And, and we do have some answers to those questions. Um, we know that he wants Mason Mount and N'Golo Conte extended. We know he has a plan for Colwell and Mudrick moving forward. We know that he wants to use the academy to, to fill in the gaps in the squad. Um, and we do know that he will speak to Lukaku ahead of the preseason to figure out his role moving forward. Um, mm -hmm. But, Andreas, I'll start off with you. Um, you know, in a summer where 90% of the business likely is going to be getting rid of players is not you know we're probably not going to see many in incoming players it's going to be mostly outgoing um how is Poch going to handle building a team into a contender when most of the business is going to be getting rid of players so funny enough i i kept making like similarities to what Poch did at Tottenham when he arrived there to what he's going to have to do here at Chelsea. And in his first two seasons at Spurs, he had to clear out the locker room. So within his first two seasons, Poch sold 19 first team players and he only bought six. So in terms of the numbers, he was not afraid of making the hard choice of telling whoever was in charge of transfers at the time. I don't know if it was still Daniel Levy or not, but get rid, take them, get done. The first summer, 
Um, I think it was like a net zero in terms of bought and sold. But then the second summer, they profited like about 50%. So they bought players for about something like 40 and they they sold about 80 million worth of players. So he knows that he does not want a big squad. He actually prefers a core group of players to rely on week in and week out. And and I wanted to f- hyper focus on his arguably his best Premier League season with Spurs, the the 15-16 season. You know, we know it as the the year we ruined their campaign at the Battle of the Bridge. Um he had 24 first team players uh to give you a bit of a breakdown of how that worked down three of those are keepers six of those were u21 academy players and so that puts you at mm, 16 senior members 11 players can start again keepers out of those 24 players only 10 players started more than 25 player premier league matches and then in terms of appearances, only 13 players had more than 25 appearances. Again, out of a possible 38 Premier League matches, I think that season they had the Champions League were top of their group. But my point is, in the last three seasons, Chelsea has flip-flopped and changed and moved players week in and week out. I believe at one point we had 46 different starting 11s under Graham Potter. And Potts is going to completely clean that out. If you also look at the last couple of Premier League champions, um, the way their squad size was in 21 22, City used 18 players. In 2021, from 2021, City used 20 players. Liverpool in 1920 used 18 players. Again, City 18 19, 18 players. In 17-18, 17 players. And then back last time Chelsea won the Champions League, 13 players were used to start matches. So there is a method to the madness. You do not need to use all 22 players at at an equal capacity to get consistency, to get results and that sort of thing. Yes, you need your full first-team squad to contribute, but there are differences in in your starting 11 and and cohesion builds from there. So I think he has shown how to quickly turn the squad around to get it to what he wants to do. Um, and like Zach said, he doesn't mess around and have to play nice to like fit, feed into egos. He's going to make those tough decisions, like getting rid of Soldado, who was a veteran forward, to rely on 20-year-old Harry Kane. Like Things like that will happen early, not like we've seen recently where, oh, new manager comes in. Guess what? Obama, Yang, Ziyech, all of you guys get ready to play again. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, so that's what I think about his his first summers and, and the transitions. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything to ask me before I get into why I feel comfortable with him building success. Go into it. So he, I, I'm not going to use PSG here because... I think every manager that touches PSG is fucked, <laughs> as we've seen with who we had previous to Poch and, and Tuchel and what he did for us versus what he failed to do at PSG. So I'll start with what he, uh, with Poch's career previous. So he started his managerial career at Espanol, which is where he played most of his career, and he actually took over midway through a season, uh, actually about a year or two after he retired, still getting his coaching license. He was brought in to be interim. and. 
His first match was against Pep Guardiola in the Copa del Rey. Two training sessions in. He, for, for our Ted Lasso fans, he went full Ted and changed the tactics immediately. Um, that is a season three reference. And he was able to draw Pep's famous Barcelona nil-nil in the Copa del Rey and was immediately able to get sort of the trust of players who he actually played with previously. I believe he coached 16 guys who were once his teammates. And he brought Espanol from a relegation battle to mid-table just in those uh, like the six-month stint before the season ended. And then from there, he... You know, I'll let Zach talk tactics, but he basically rebuilt Espanol through the academy, a huge focus on the academy because Espanol is just not a, a club with a lot of money. So he decided to bring youth and energy in from their own ranks, bring that into the club's identity. And he was able to maintain Espanol at a mid-table side, which just was above what they had been doing for years. He unfortunately had a summer where he was ready to spend, ready to turn the squad over. It didn't happen, and his squad was underperforming, and he was let go, but then was picked up later that year by Southampton. And again, Southampton picks him up midway through a year after finish, after being fired. They were actually able to beat Man City 3-0, and Man City were the, na- the reigning champs at that point. So again, a quick turnaround Big result early in his tenure. And then after his first full season at Southampton, which again, during Potts' tenure, Southampton was known for their academy products, got them to eighth place, which was their best finish since 2003 and their highest points tally since 98. Now, then comes Tottenham, poaches him. All right, Tottenham, this is what we know him for. We love to hate on him because he didn't win jack shit. But pre-Potch, the best Tottenham had ever done for those previous five years was fourth place. They were bouncing between fourth, fifth, sixth, blah, 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 blah. Potch comes in. Within that next five years, Spurs finished in the top three three times. And their best position was second in the Premier League. Uh, the year Conte won the Premier League. And when Conte won the Premier League with Chelsea, we had 93 points, which at the time was a Premier League record for a league. And... The 86 points that Potch and his Spurs side was able to get that season would have won them won them the Premier League the previous three years. So while we love to shit on Spurs for having an empty trophy, it is necessary to point out that what Potch did to set up that team statistically could have earned him a Premier League trophy had Conte not been a magnificent first-year manager and made Chelsea like crazy and win 13 matches in a row and all that. He also got them to a Champions League final and their only League Cup final appearance since, I believe, uh, previous to that it had been a few years. And then post that, it I think it was Mourinho that got them to a final and then they sacked him like idiots before he was even able to play Man U and then they lost that final as well. Um, my point in, in bringing all this up is that Poch has succeeded the expectations that each three of these clubs had put on him. And all of these clubs were not ready-made products. These were clubs where um, he had little in terms of income or transfer budget to be using, uh, clubs that were going to need a big squad turnover and refreshing, and clubs that prior to his arrival had lost their way. So all those things point back to what we're at right now. 
We had a change in ownership and it immediately changed how people saw our club from the outside looking in. We have a mishmash of players from now three different, four different managers who don't know what style of football they were brought into play because every manager has played differently. So what has Potts shown through his managerial careers is that it does not take him. I need a five-year fucking project to get shit done. And my players are going to buy into my ideas quickly and we're going to get the results that people want. So, yeah. Thank you for coming from my TED Talk, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a lot, a lot to take in. Zach, I don't know if there's one, if you want to uh, add anything onto that or kind of talk a little bit more about what we can expect on the pitch, to see on the pitch from him. Yeah, I I could get into the tactics. The one thing I want to just kind of add to Andres is... um, education there was when potch went to southampton um he didn't speak any english so the the results that he was and the things he was able to achieve in that first season at southampton with limited english i think you know if what i said earlier about him recording training sessions and game clipping each time a player touches a ball every match isn't an example of his meticulousness well that is um the guy was able to communicate his ideas without speaking the language so it's impressive um, for this tactical analysis, just as a, a caveat before I start, I focused on his time at Spurs um, because the style of the Premier League really hasn't changed much since he was here. Um, and at PSG, let's be honest with ourselves, he was in a fucking farmer's league where all he had to do was really just put out as many attackers as possible. Um, so I didn't really heed too much from the PSG, um, from his time at PSG. I really took most of this info from his time at Spurs. So let's get right into it. Um, as we already know, he's a big uh, proponent of the, of the 4-2-3-1, um, which was a formation that he deployed the most at Tottenham. Um, so just a quick background here. When Poch was a player, he, he came from the Bielsa School of Football. So if you know anything about Marcelo Bielsa, you should know that the Argentinians is a fucking madman when it comes to a high-press, high-intensity team. Um, his teams are fit, his teams are fast, and his teams are physical. And Poch's teams are no different. Um, I'm sure if you've done research on Poch, even base level research, you've probably seen a video of uh, Jamie Carragher going through um, the distance covered for the Spurs team before and after Poch came in. They were pretty close to the bottom of the league beforehand, and after Poch's first season, they were at the top of the league. So he demands hardworking. Um, he demands a hardworking work ethic, um, and he drills a fuck out of his players to make sure that, you know, they are match fit come game time. So 4-2-3-1, this was a formation he played uh, most of his time at Spurs. He, again, Bielsa school of football means that he did deploy the high press here. Now, not in a traditional sense of a 4-2-3-1. Um, uh, he didn't deploy a high press in a traditional sense of a 4-2-3-1 where the striker is pressing alone up top or where the striker is pressing with the outside uh, midfielders. Uh, instead, the 10 actually pushes up. In this case, it was Dele Alli. Uh, pushing up higher to press with Harry Kane um, to press opposition center backs and to force them to, you know, make some loose passes and give up the ball. Um, In possession, it is a little different. Um, The CDM, uh, so out of the double pivot, there's usually one player there that's used as a primary playmaker. Uh, We've seen Christian Eriksen actually be sort of converted into this later on in his time at Spurs. And then we would see him partnered next to uh, out and out defensive mid. So that would either be Remember Victor Wanyama for a period of time, and eventually it turned into Eric Dyer when Poch decided to turn him into a midfielder. Basically, in possession, 
the de- more defensive of the two um, holding mids drops off between the two center backs and basically forms a back three. Um, now that allows the fullbacks to push higher up the pitch and help join the attack, primarily in the midfield. And just for lack of um, explanation, it basically looks like a three-four-two-one in possession. So we get numbers in possession. We're using the full width of the pitch. And again, it's a possession-based style. So that means both fullbacks are being included in the build-up play as well. So they're not necessarily being deployed there as dummies or strictly overlapping purposes. They are there to actually help build up play and sometimes even finish up the play. That's why Pochettino loved using Kieran Trippier for so long, because of his service from the right-hand side. Um, So just using that as an example. And then also Danny Rose, he got a lot out of him as well, playing as a left back, uh, because Danny Rose was was pretty good in possession. Um, So in terms of the 4-2-3-1, I think that's going to be the formation we're going to see the most of here at Chelsea. That's the one that Pochettino saw the most success with, um, with his time at Spurs. That was a formation he got the most out of Harry Kane. That was the same formation he got the most out of Dele Alli. He got the most out of uh, Sun Hyung Min, or actually not the most out of him, but he was able to get Sun to break through in the Premier League with, in, this, um, in this system. And he also converted Christian Eriksen from an out-and-out number 10, pure playmaker, to a more box-to-box role, where he's sort of similar to the role he's actually playing in uh, under Ten Hag, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, so, again, he came into this side, And like Andres touched on, he's incredibly malleable as a manager. He demands um, all of his players fill more than just one role for him. So, for example, he's not going to be the type of manager that says, hey, you're going to play striker and only striker for me. You know, if he sees that you can fill a role somewhere else, he's going to he's going to put you there. But he's not just going to throw you to the wolves like Graham Potter did with Pulisic at wingback. He's actually going to coach you through it. Um, If you want a perfect example, he coached Harry Kane from being an out-and-out striker to basically being a pseudo-10. I mean, Harry Kane's more of a false nine now than an out-and-out striker. And a huge part of that is because of the system Pochettino was able to put around him. And, you know, he obviously saw Harry Kane's playmaking ability and look where he is now. Um, You know, he's up there with the best of them in terms of creating and finishing plays. Um, The other system I want to go into is the 4-4-2 diamond. Now, Chelsea fans have a lot of bad memories of this. This was the formation that he used to counter Conte's 3-4-3. And basically what he did, he crowded the midfield, and the whole purpose of it was to cut off the supply line to Cesc Fabregas, who was our main creator at the time. Because let's not forget, um, when Pochettino was still in the Premier League, Fabregas and Diego Costa were were the dynamic duo in the Premier League still. Um, So he set this system up in order to negate or stop Fabregas from receiving the ball um, into positions that he likes to. Um, And it also um, combated the work rate of N'Golo Conte, who was usually playing on the other side of Sesc in that midfield. So they like to put numbers there. He liked to crowd the midfield, prevent Sesc from getting possession and doing what he does best. Um, Now, in this formation, it's a diamond 4-4-2, meaning that there's two strikers up top, there's one CDM, there's two midfielders on either side of them, just like a 4-3-3, but then there's a number 10, as opposed to having out-and-out wingers. Now, that number 10 does occupy the center back, the middle center back. Um, again, this is when they play Chelsea. Um, he would normally, Dele Alli would pin himself to, I believe it was David Luiz at the time, um, to prevent him from doing, again, what he does best. David Luiz was a supplier. He was one of our deep-lying playmakers at the time. And uh, let's be honest with ourselves, the one Chelsea game I went to, where Pochettino deployed this formation, 
um, they did exactly that. They prevented David Luiz and Cesc Fabregas from getting onto the ball. They um, they were incredibly energetic, especially in the midfield. They'd win the ball back quick and fast, and they were getting the ball to guys like Christian Eriksen and Dele Alli, who at the time were their playmakers. Um, so yeah, in terms of the four four two diamond, the ten does occupy the middle center back. Um, again, the main function was to stop Cesc from receiving the ball. Now, when we do win possession back. The 10 does push up, and he actually joins the two strikers, oftentimes forming a front three. Sometimes uh, one of the strikers would drift out wide, so Dele Alli could sort of fill in that middle role. Sometimes Dele Alli had the license to go out wide and vice versa. The point being, this formation, just like the 4-2-3-1, again, incredibly malleable. It can look like three or four different shapes um, if it's deployed properly. Um, so this is something that Pochettino loves. You know, he doesn't necessarily go out there and stick a team in a 4-2-3-1 and they're in that shape all 90 minutes. In the attack, it's one shape. In transition, it's one shape. And in defense, it's another shape. Um, so again, really, really points to his level of detail and level of coaching that's involved. In order to be successful under Pochettino, you really do have to be a student if this is improving it. So the last formation I wanted to, um, to touch on was the 4-3-3. Now, we've seen Frank deploy this with Chelsea as of late. This looks like the formation that he's able to get the most out of this Chelsea team with. I do think Pochettino, we might see this under Pochettino at some point, but I am veering more on the side of, I think we'll see more 4-2-3-1 um, right from the get-go. But the 4-3-3, this is really where Eriksen made his transition to a number eight. He wasn't necessarily joining the attack or stepping into the attacking third in the early phases of the buildup. Um, he was entering the attacking third in the later phases. So oftentimes um, creating the hockey assist, for lack of a better word. Uh, and now in this formation, obviously you have the two number eights. None of them really operate as an out-and-out -out number 10. And what that allows is, again, for the fullbacks to push up, utilize the width of the pitch. And while you still have that protection of having a holding midfielder and two uh, number eights in front of them. Now that holding midfielder, and this is the interesting part, he does drop between the two center backs again. So just like the 4-2-3-1, it could look like a very similar shape here. So we've seen the rumors lately with Pochettino. You know, he wants a, he said he already wants a striker. He wants a goalkeeper. And he targeted a defensive midfielder um, as a priority. And I think this is why. I think he's going to target somebody similar, um, at least characteristically, to like an Eric Dyer or a Victor Wanyama type player, a.k.a. a, a a big-ass body with tons of energy whose sole purpose is to win the ball. Um, so if that's a priority of Pochettino's and we do get the correct target, like let's say for lack, for just for an example, not saying it's going to happen, but a Declan Rice type character, come in, mm -hmm. win the ball, marshal the midfield, the physical battles, the battle's never going to be an issue for him. That's a type of player that I think Pochettino's targeting specifically for the midfield role. So you know, we do see a couple different shapes here. I know I only talked about a 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2 diamond, and a 4-3-3. But within those, in the attacking and defensive phases, they could change. So you could see variations of a back three, which I think is going to be the case plenty of times, especially if Thiago Silva's here next year, because he does need the support. Um, but we are also going to see different variations of 4-4-2s and 4-4-3s, or 4-3-3s. So... I'm I'm incredibly excited to see what he has in store. Like I said, if I had to put all my eggs into one basket, I think it's most likely going to be some version of a 4-2-3-1 where you might see Conte and Enzo playing in a pivot together. 
maybe a new DM if we can get the right target in. Um, and we go from there. But this is a formation that he saw so much success with at Spurs. And, you know, he's not afraid to change things around based on the opposition. But that doesn't really matter because the main thing is that his playing style is fundamentally staying the same. High press in the initial counter uh, when they lose possession, it's a it's a high octane counter press. And when they do lose the counter press, the only difference between him and Bielsa is that he allows his teams to drop into deep, uh, too low, too deep low blocks after the initial press is bypassed. So it's not necessarily Gagan pressing like like the Germans say, or um, an all out press like we saw with Bielsa at Leeds, where it's basically do or die. It's very much calculated in certain areas of the pitch, which I, I when I when we spoke about Nogglesman when those rumors are going around, I I use that example on him as well. And Pochettino is very much like Nogglesman in that modern manager sense, where um, they're not just pressing for the sake of pressing; they're pressing specific people for a specific purpose. So damn, it feels like uh, I just got out of a class. Um, you guys taught me everything I needed to know about Pochettino. You got your uh, UEFA badges now. Yep. I'm officially licensed. Um, I got went to the same school as uh, Grand Potter. So, <laughs> now that we know everything about Pochettino. Everything. Um, everything. Um, who he is as a person. What we'll see on a, pit, on a pitch. On the pitch. Um, who do you guys see thriving in his system? And who... Do you see not fitting in, Andreas? I'll start off with you. Um, three names. I'll, I'll try to be quick. Um, n- number one is Mudrik. I think Poch's four-two-three-one really has a lot of vertical passing. It's it's a lot of getting the ball over the top into space, which is why Son went from scoring five goals in a Bundesliga season to like thirteen goals his first or second campaign. I think that getting Mudrik into space will be huge and letting him have those 1v1 situations is going to really help his game. The other one, if he stays, it's Mason Mount. Mason Mount will be able to do what he does best is play the eight, press from the front, and do a lot of underlapping runs because even if he plays as one of the wide players in the three of the 4-2-3-1, Reese James or Ben Chilwell will be providing the width, which means that he'll always get into the box. He'll always be able to get in there and do the finishing part of it, which was honestly his very best attribute in terms of his goal scoring is that he always seemed to pop into the box when we needed him most. Um, The last one is Levi Colwell. And I want to use today's match against Arsenal as as the probably the best example. His passing is is very good. He likes to to skip midfield and, and get the passes through to the wingers at play. I think he's also very tactically versatile in terms of like pressing in a high line, but also dropping deep when he needs to. Um, he was given the task to man mark Odegaard and Odegaard was non-existent today. So I think the fact that Potts has already kind of targeted those two players early and even Mason Mount, they're the easy answers. But I think that those three guys will, will thrive uh, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say Mason Mount as one of them, um, should he re-sign. I think the parallels between him and Christian Eriksen is a given. 
I think I think the vision that he has for Mason Mount is very similar to what he did with Christian Eriksen because stylistically they are very similar players. Technically brilliant, they both have a good range of passing, could shoot from outside the box. I think Eriksen's footballing IQ is slightly higher than Mason Mount's, but I think where Mason Mount makes up for that is purely with his work rate and his energy. I don't think Eriksen has half the work rate Mason Mount does. So in a team that's going to be pressing and a team that's going to um, have a lot of possession, obviously a guy like Mason Mount's going to thrive. Um, I don't have like a specific name, but I'm just going to kind of clump them all together. I'm going to say the, all of the academy players are going to benefit from having a guy like Pochettino come in. He's an out and out leader. Um, he's not the Grand Potter type where he's going to, you know, more try to be your friend than a coach. Pochettino's going to give you the truth. He's going to give it to you straight. And if all the reports are true, um, he's not going to let any of these young guys linger around the club unless he's absolutely going to need them that season. You know, th there was a name that that was thrown around in Carney Chukwameka. That was a name that Pochettino specifically mentioned to um, our owners as a name that um, had a negative season because he made his big move, but he didn't get the playing time or the development that he needed. Um, so. Maybe guys like Dr. Fafana, um, you can throw, um, I don't know, any of our other younger players, maybe even a Lewis Hall, a Harvey Vale type of player. A, um, it, it can be anybody. I mean, Amari Hutchinson, you take your pick. But if preseason goes by and one of those players or all of those players aren't going to figure into the 23-man Premier League or, or Premier League squad, not Champions League. Who am I kidding? Yeah. Fucking stuff. But Premier League squad going into next season, he's going to be straight with them and tell them, listen, you're not going to play. I'm not going to give you sympathy minutes. You need to get a loan. So just having that line of communication with the manager and not having that little gray area where, like Chuck Wameko was stuck in, where is he a part of the first team? Is he a part of the development squad? Should he, should he have gone on loan? Could another Premier League team use him for this season? I think all those questions are going to be answered with the academy players. And the third and final player that I think is going to benefit a lot from him is Thiago Silva. The poor guy's been leading this team by himself. He finally has another natural leader that's going to be in the dressing room that can help him communicate ideas and bring sort of that, uh, that personality into the locker room. Because yes, Frank Lampard is a club legend, and I'm sure he has the respect of all the players from what he's achieved on the pitch. But as a manager, he hasn't done anything to deserve respect from a guy like Thiago Silva, for example, or you know, uh, any of our more senior players. But just the blatant lack of leadership in his dressing room has been such an issue. And the fact that we were bringing in a guy who's a natural born leader, who's built his reputation on being a leader, is it's a huge positive. So I think Thiago Silva is going to benefit a lot from him. I think Pochettino will get a lot of use out of him next season as well, especially seeing how consistent he's been for us this year. He's arguably been our best defender on uh, for the season as a whole. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's going to be relying on some of those veteran players in the bigger games. And Thiago Silva is no exception. I fully expect him to play in some important matches next season. And I think he's going to be one of the center backs that Pochettino relies on in the early going to communicate his ideas and to establish that footballing identity. So I did ask a two-part question, and you guys only answered the first part. Um, so my second part, who do you guys not see fitting in? Andres, I'll start with you again. I actually want to start with the harsh part, which is where I disagree that Silva's going to be a good fit. I think we're going to mm, see Silva. I, I don't think he's got the legs anymore because 
the one thing you keep seeing is that Poch's sides were always top three in distance covered in the Premier League. We're mm-hmm. going to be asking these players to run their asses off. And Thiago Silva is a sit back and read sort of center back. The reason he's thrived here so much is because we've either protected him in a back three to where he can overcorrect the the mistakes of his two other center backs, or we've been in a lower block. Uh, I I don't know. I'm not saying that he's going to be bad. I just don't think that he's going to be like, I think next season will be his last season. He's already said he's staying and he said, I always finish my contracts. And I do believe that next season will be it. And it's not like he'll be completely left out in the dust and he's going to be treated poorly. I just don't think that Tiago Silva is going to be one of those guys that starts the majority of the matches. I think that he'll be used a lot more carefully and, it'll be more of a tactical change. I can't see Thiago Silva going back to back to back weeks of 90 minutes. If the system that we're expecting is this high press mid block, high line, whatever you want to call it uh, of Pochettino. So that's, that's one where I'm a little bit bummed out. Um, the other part that I'm a little worried about is whether or not we'll have the physios in place to make sure that our biggest attacking threats of the past two seasons will stay healthy in a high pressing system. And that's both Reese James and Ben Chilwell. Can they luckily for us, we're not in any European competition, so they'll play every seven days, right? That's the the saving grace, but can we finally figure out their health and can we push their bodies to do this amount of work that consistently? Um, I am worried about it. I think I'm sure that's going to be something that Poch is going to look at deeply and, and make sure his he's bringing in his like he's got a guy like he's got his guy that does all the fitness training and whatnot. I'm sure he'll look into that, but I'm a little concerned about our fullbacks health. And then the last guy, not not surprising, it's Kai Havertz. I don't see where in this four two three one he has a a role that he will just completely fit into mount will outwork him at either the central 10 or wide 10 he doesn't have the blistering pace of someone like madueke mudrake or sterling to get in behind as the more like be the deep threat guy and and he just doesn't cut it as a nine so as of right now i think Again, with Poch being the next manager, if Bayern Munich comes calling and they have a 50, 60 million bid, I think that now is the time to cash in on someone like Kai because I just don't see how his profile fits into this team. I I, I can't find the minutes. I can't find the position. And again, I'm not paid the big bucks, but something tells me that he's the odd man out as as of right now. No. (laughs) Said nobody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah please I, I don't tell it, me Kai Havertz is going to be phased out. Come on, oh, man. No, we, he hasn't even gotten a chance, man. He's barely playing. Fucking <laughs> 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 All right. Well, I, if, 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 if I had to pick one player that's uh, definitely not going to benefit from Mauricio Pochettino, it's Kaladu Koulibaly. Um, for the reason Andres mentioned why Thiago Silva won't fit into this team. Kaladu Koulibaly can make a U-turn as fast as a cruise ship. Um, or as slow as a cruise <laughs> ship, should I say. So, yeah, I mean, 
I think if we're gonna we are gonna be playing this high pressing system, I think the saving grace with Tiago Silva is his brain. Like he's gonna position himself perfectly every single time. Whereas Kaladu Kulabali does have a brain fart in him. Um, he's incredibly slow on the spin. So if we are going to be playing a high line where he's going to be sitting at the halfway line or even in the opposition's half in possession, we can easily get exposed on the counter. Um, and the last thing is he hasn't been too good with the ball at his feet. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Sometimes he looks like a baby deer, um, especially when he's passing with his left foot. And Pochettino is going to be um, using the defense as a sort of aid in build-up play. And I, I don't think Koulibaly's range of passing is going to be of benefit for us. I think having a guy like, if, it, if it's not Thiago Silva, it's it's Fofana, Wesley Fofana, who has that range of passing playing on the right. And then at the left center backs, all of the ones we have available to us are, are great at passing in Badia Shield and Levi Colwell. So I think those guys are probably going to get more playing, playing time than Koulibaly. Um, I really thought this was going to be one of the sure thing signings this season, considering the amount of international and club uh, success and experience that he has, but I just don't see that fit working out with Pochettino. I really don't. I think he's too demanding as a manager, and the skill set that Koulibaly has is... I think it's the Koulibaly's skill set suits a manager that's going to sit with a lower block most of the time, because he, he's, he's great when the game's in front of him. The problem with Koulibaly is when the, game gets, when the ball gets played in behind him, he's essentially useless. All right, well, I think that's a great, great uh, finishing point. Um, I'm really excited to bring him in. It's a relief to not have to worry about this, who's going to be the next guy in, are we going to get him type of you know nonsense. So glad to have that done. Um, Hopefully by the time people are listening to this, there will be a club announcement. I mean, yeah. we're only we're only recording this based on Fabrizio Romano's "Here We Go" tweet. So, but that's as good Which as is, gold. Exactly. It's yeah. it's 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 official. Um, mm. But yeah, I think that wraps it up. Um, I don't. We totally forgot that we uh, actually have a another match coming up against Man City. We have both but, Manchester clubs in the same in this week, which is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's not much to talk about. Um, we are going to hand Manchester City the Premier League title um, <laughs> a week from today. Um, it's we better it, not it, give it's them a card be my honor after the match. And we also better not like win. We better not win and give Arsenal hope. Okay. Or that would be funnier. That could be funnier. Give them one more week. Oh, okay. Can you yeah, imagine yeah. the turnaround? They come back for a week and they're like, oh my God, everything's great. And they We're lose by a chance. point. Exactly. Yeah, on the last just, day. Just make it more bitter. Make it more painful. <sighs> okay. It's not happening, Andreas. It's not happening. We're, we are not beating Manchester City. Um, You're right. El Kai Gundogan is way too good right now. I mean, Holland, the whole, you Mar named one. Yeah, you named one player of their uh, fifteen guys. We're so fucked because their whole entire player. team is in form. Like it's not just well, like one or two players. 
basically Listen, their whole team minus Phil Philippines is in form. You never bench. know. They have to play Real Madrid midweek. Oh my God, Andres. <laughs> don't give me this. I think Pochettino will be watching time. from the sidelines. This is, this is the perfect time to stop the episode right here <laughs> before Andres gets uh, embarrassed. I'm booting up my Nintendo Switch. Screw you guys. Yeah, well, we're done anyway, so um, you, know, you know that's where I'm heading. Um, so if you guys don't already, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at Blues on Parade. Um, oh, we didn't even see like the news was so exciting. We didn't even get to any of our Twitter questions either. Um, we love but, you. We're sorry. Yeah, Next sorry week. guys. We've been really bad with that, but and you know the whole pitch of. Follow us, and if you write into our show, we'll we'll answer your question. It's not really very enticing right now after we missed another episode of uh, questions. But we're so excited about Pochettino coming in. We wanted to give you guys a breakdown of everything. Um, but yeah, if you don't follow us already, make sure you do. Um, looking forward to dropping points to Man City next week. Uh, and until then... Keep the blue flag flying high.